Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, tune to us to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We really love hearing from you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. On this beautiful, cold, icy morning. For once, we can say cold. <laughs> <laughs> How about that, huh? We found out what all those guys up north have been talking about. Huh? I'm telling you. Yeah. They're, they're used to this, though. This oh, is nothing right. for them. Well, that's right. But it never got over freezing yesterday, which is sort of unusual for it, South it Louisiana. It is very unusual for South Louisiana. That don't happen but about every four or five years. At most, yes. I believe there's a whole bunch more coming this way. That's think, what they said. warm up the, for the weekend, but it's going to... The rest of the week is supposed to be down in the... Cold, cold. Yep. <laughs> You're having problems with the cold or just problems in general. You give us a call. We'll try to help you out and tell you what you might do and what you should not do. There you go. Probably just as important what you shouldn't do. Today. Exactly. <laughs> that is something. One thing that a lot of folks do, they come out and their windshield's all iced over and certainly living in this region you're not familiar with that happening right and some people will put their windshield wipers on of course that just wipes back and forth for a few minutes and you're still not getting anywhere so not to mention it probably tears the blades up and everything else so finishes them off for sure that's it a lot of people are tempted to go in the house, get a big old pot of hot water, and throw on that windshield. And that is and the wrong thing to do. Yeah, the hot water really won't defrost it any better than just, say, tap water will. So if your hose is still working, you right. can just take the garden hose and just use that to wash it off. That works just as well. And I tell you, if you got time, go ahead, crank the vehicle up, mm-hmm. turn the defroster on, put the heat on, That's and right. turn it up on high. Close the door and go back in the house where it's warm. That's right. Give it about 10 minutes. It'll thaw out. Warm air will thaw it out from the inside. But if you put just tap water on the windshield, it'll defrost it. And, of course, it's going to refreeze again, so you have to keep doing it. But if you put hot water on the windshield, if there's a crack in it, a lot of times that thermal difference will. (laughs) It will take off. It'll show you all what thermal difference is about. (laughs) That's for a fact. So you don't end up with a broken windshield or something like that. And really that, no matter how hot the water is, even if it's boiling, it's going to cool off pretty fast when you put on that windshield. So it's going to still refreeze. So you're not really gaining anything by using hot water on it. Just regular tap water do the job just fine. That will. So I'll tell you what, going to our phone lines, we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Got a question for you. I've got a 2003 Toyota Camry. Uh-huh. That it was my wife's car for a number of years, and then my both my sons have it. My youngest one's driving it now. I don't have that many miles considering the age. I've got like 130,000 on okay. it. But I got to thinking the other day, I've never done a transmission flush or anything mm-hmm. like that. And, and I didn't know if that's something I should be considering at this mileage, whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, light, I mean, it's light miles. It's about 11,000 a year, 12,000 a year, I think, at the most. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a little nervous about it because I've heard stories about bringing it to some place. And the next thing you know, things are screwed up. So. Yeah, Mike, a proper transmission service can never, ever hurt the car. Not ever. And a flush, I know you use the word, and it's probably just a marketing term you've heard, but a flush right. is not what you want. That can damage the car. What you want That's is a proper good. transmission service where you drop the pan, replace okay. the fluid, replace the filter, and so on. But that can never, ever hurt your car at any miles. Okay. Where that urban myth comes from is that people might go 150,000 miles they start having a problem with their transmission, so they say, oh, maybe I ought to go get it serviced. Well, they already right. got a problem. So they go in right. and have it serviced, and two weeks later it goes out. Well, if they hadn't had it serviced two weeks later, it would have went out. It wasn't a service that took it out. It's the 150,000 miles without a service that took it out. Okay. And occasionally we will drop a pan, and when we do, there's a snap ring laying in a piece of a gear, and all you can tell the guys, hey, you don't have much time left. You could put the pan back on at that point, or you can go ahead and service it. It just won't do any good. Right. 
Toyota is pretty tough, but I can tell you all the seals and stuff will inevitably get hard if you don't keep fresh fluid because fluid has conditioner in it that softens those seals. Okay. Also, debris builds up just through natural operation, and it can restrict the filter. So, no, you're definitely not going to hurt anything doing a proper service, but you just want to make sure you get a proper service and not a flush. Now, one of the possibility, and this probably adds to the legend as well, if the person servicing the car is not maybe as good as they should be, and they go in and knock a wire off of a solenoid, they put the wrong fluid in it, they don't put enough fluid in it, or they just do something wrong, yeah, they could cause a problem that you didn't have before. But that would be an improper service. Properly done, you're not going to have a problem. So if I were to bring it in, typically, what are we looking at? You know, 100 bucks or less or something no, like that? No, it depends on what kind of transmission you got, what kind of fluid it takes and all that. It varies in price. Probably anywhere between 130 and $150, depending, again, what transmission is in that particular car. Because they do use different ones. They take different amount of fluid. And some of them take different filters. And some take a gasket. Some don't. Me and variables. But that would be a proper service. They're going to drive the car first. They're going to check it for leaks. They're going to drop the pan. They're going to replace the fluid, the filter, and the gasket with the proper fluid filtering gasket, retark the valve body bolts, adjust the linkage, and drive the car again. And that's something you guys do day in and day out? Yes, Yes, sir. All day long. I got a guy there at the shop. That's all he does. Transmission is one of our specialties. Each guy in the shop specializes in a particular feel of the car, and that's what Josh does. He does transmissions, and that's what he does. So that is one of our particular fields that we do quite a bit. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks very much. All right, Mike. All right, sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526, the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. That's one of those urban legends that uh-huh. has been pretty persistent. I guess the myth goes that if you haven't serviced the transmission in a long time, then you should not do it because it's going to go bad or it's going to cause a problem. Right. And that just can't happen. There are some shops that are reluctant to work on a transmission that has not been serviced in 150,000 miles or so. Reason being, they don't want to get blamed for when the unit does when go it up. does fail, right. and it's not going to be the service that makes it fail. It's going to be the hundred fifty thousand miles without a service Correct. that made it fail. It would be just like saying, "Well, I haven't changed my oil in a hundred thousand miles, so I should never change it again." Uh huh. Or I hadn't taken a bath in six months, so I'm never going to take a bath again. If you hadn't changed your oil in a hundred thousand miles, odds are you've got engine problems. Oh yeah, they hadn't revealed themselves yet. Yeah, just hadn't conked out completely yet. Right. But if you change the oil and the engine goes out two weeks later, it's always oh, the oil that's it. that made it do it. Yeah, the oil change did it. Of course, if you ate a carrot and it went out two weeks later, <laughs> is it the carrot that made it do it? <laughs> exactly. Everything yeah. happens after something else. Sure. It's sure. just the way time works in this universe. No matter what you do, at some point after that, something else is going to happen. It's always going to be after that happens. So exactly. So we tend to want to blame it on that, but most of the time it's not related at all. But, yeah, that is one of those things that you just can't hurt it. Now, the exception to that is what they call a flush, which I think those are kind of going away because most of the manufacturers have now come out I know GM had a strongly worded statement to their dealers, do not flush transmissions, period. Right. Stop doing it. Right. It's wrong. Don't do it. But what happens with a flush is you take two cooler lines off, you empty some of the fluid out, you pump fresh fluid back in. Number one, you're not changing nearly, not even close to all the fluid. No. Probably no, not you, getting as much as you do when you drop the pan. Really, all you're doing is just circulating it around. You're picking up a little bit of the old, old fluid, fluid with you, a lot of the new fluid that's going back in. back out again. Right. But more to the point and worse, I guess, is you're stirring up the debris that's in the pan, which is getting sucked into the filter, which you're not changing. Exactly. So you can actually further restrict the filter. The people who use those machines ever looked inside of a transmission and saw the way that it works, it doesn't work like a linear thing where all the fluid goes out one line. Right. The fluid comes out of the pump, and it's sort of like a tree. It goes out to several branches. 
And most of the fluid actually goes to the pressure regulator and gets dumped right back in the pan. So it's just pumping around the loop. Uh-huh. Some more fluid goes out to the torque converter. Some goes out to the clutch circuit. Some goes out to the lube circuit. And some goes out to the cooler circuit. Well, you're just taking the line off the cooler circuit, and you're mm. emptying that out and pumping fresh fluid back. But all the others are going to the opposite circuits and dropping back into the pan. So sure. they're just circulating within the system. So you're not getting any of that fluid out. So they'll tell you, oh, this gets 100% of that. Even, you, probably doesn't even get that, 30 to 40% was, at most. The only way to get 100% of the fluid out take, is to actually take the apart. unit out, <laughs> take it apart, and yeah. dump everything out of it. That's then right. you have 100% of it. With a regular proper service where you take the pan off, you're probably getting 50% or so, which is the best you're going to do. And sure. really that's adequate because you're changing 50% of the fluid and you're changing 100% of the filter. Right. So you're actually way, way, way better off. If you want to get more, you let it run a little while, come back and do it a second time. But the fluid is not so much the problem as the filter is. The filter well, being restricted is the problem. And some of your older Fords actually had a drain on the torque converter. That's correct. So you could actually, instead of getting five quarts, you could actually get 12 quarts right. out of that unit. You're probably getting 95% of the fluid right. on that particular unit. Right, but that's, that's the exception. Uh, right. More so than the rule. Let's go back to the phone lines with Chris. Good morning, Chris. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got an F-250 as a work truck with 60,000 miles on it. Besides the standard oil change and whatnot, what kind of scheduled maintenance am I looking at coming up? What year model is it, Chris? It's a 2009. 2009, so we're talking five years old. Right. I would change the engine coolant if it hasn't been done because five years is the outside max on that, and that is going to get very, very expensive if you don't do it because you can start getting corrosion in the system. I would change the transmission fluid, and I'm talking about a proper service on it. Beyond that, I would inspect the serpentine belt. It may be close. It may not be quite there yet. Those will go up to seventy, eighty thousand 80000 a lot of times because they do use an EPDM rubber. I would inspect the hoses and such as that. I would inspect the brakes on it. Wouldn't be a bad idea to check the fluid levels in the differential. Yeah, make sure that it's full. Make sure that it's full because a lot do of those vehicles. with it, Chris? No, it's on a work truck, so it's yeah. got a lot of weight in it. Yeah, uh, towing, the rear differential will be okay up to 100,000. If you tow, they recommend changing the diff fluid at 50, but uh, that shouldn't be necessary if you're not towing. Wouldn't hurt to check the level on it, though. Check the level, make sure it's full. You know, th- those sorts of things. Well, good. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, man. Thank All you. All right, sir. Bye-bye. 499-9526. number, if you want to be part of the automotive vibe, we'd certainly love to have you. Put an article on the website this morning about winterizing your car, getting uh-huh. it ready for the winter. And being from South Louisiana where it doesn't get that cold, obviously I'm not an expert on cold weather. Right. But what I do get is a, I guess, a unique perspective because folks in this area are generally lulled into a false sense of security because it is warm most of the year. I think the average temperature is about 69 degrees. So most people do not ever prepare for the cold weather. So therefore, when it hits, we really see the effects of it as much as people who are up north where it really gets much colder because Uh they're more prepared, I think. And the three things this article covers are three things that a lot of people don't think about. One is batteries, two is a transmission, and three is the engine cooling system. And I guess if you actually have a good maintenance schedule on your vehicle and you're taking care of your vehicle, then the cold that we see here is not ever going to be a problem. Right. Days like we had yesterday, or even days where it goes down to the teens, are not going to be an issue to you because you take care of the car. Now, on the flip side of that, if you have a, a car that's been neglected... It's going to show. Then it's going to start showing up when the weather changes. The extremes, either way, be it cold or be it hot, are going to show up problems for you. And it's not that the cold brought on the problems. It's the cold revealed the problems. The problems were already there. Sure. You had a weak battery, and you were pushing it, and when the cold first cold day, well, now it died. 
you had a transmission that had not been serviced. The fluid was thick. It was dirty. The filter was restricted. Well, on the first cold day, the engine's odd and high. It slams in gear. Bam, it breaks. Right. So now you're buying a transmission. And on it, on and on it goes. If you had a cooling system that was corroded up, well, the thermostat sticks. Now the heater doesn't work, and you don't really notice it until it gets cold. Well, you had some air in the system, and now you've got a very poor cooling system That's going right. on That's right. that so, can't withstand the cold. I guess it's sort of like Jack Kennedy always said, the time to fix the roof is not when it's raining. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if you maintain the car year-round, and really that doesn't take a whole lot. About no, it doesn't. once a year, get it in for a general inspection. We can tell you exactly what it needs. Keep it in good shape, and you're generally not ever going to have these. You don't have to worry. Start getting worried when it gets cold or when it gets hot. Exactly. Just you're ready for it. Let's go back to the phone live. Frank, good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning, guys. Good yes, morning. Sir. I've got a question about your opinion on in the gas tank to clean fuel injectors. Yeah, not necessary. Okay. Just flat not necessary. Just use name brand gas. You're never going to have a problem. See, all of those injector cleaners and stuff like that are basically, if you read the ingredients, they're mostly ethanol. Because ethanol has a lot of bad properties, but one good property is a heck of a good detergent. Right. Now, your fuel already has 10% ethanol in it. So when you start dumping all that stuff, you're increasing the ethanol in your fuel. Which is going to reduce your fuel mileage you because you're running mileage. on That's right. More, more, more ethanol. ethanol. She has less energy than gasoline. And if you use a good name brand of fuel, change your fuel filter if you have one occasionally, and that's all you're ever going to need. Injectors clean themselves. All that okay. stuff is just something to sell you. Right. Try to stay with a high-flow gas station, right. fuel station. Mm-hmm. Right. High-volume name brand station. Don't You'll go to the right. private label stations. Because some of the private label gas has the federally mandated minimum amount of detergent, whereas your name brands are going to have more and better detergents and other additives that help prevent deposits and stuff such as that. But that's all you're ever going to really need. I personally, I buy Exxon Mobil or Shell or one of those, and I have never cleaned the injectors. I've got several cars with over 200,000 miles, and I've never had one moment's trouble in any of wow. them. We get them all the time where they'll come in, and actually the lining in the gas tank starting to dissolve and ends up plugging the injectors because they put so much cleaners in there, it's actually dissolving the lining in the fuel tank. I'll be done. So, yeah, yep. that's not a recommended maintenance item or good for it. That's just something people like to sell, but not okay. necessary at all. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. All right, Frank. All right, sir. Thank Thanks, you. man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Bo online. Good morning, Bo. Hey, good morning, Lewis. How are you doing? Doing great, sir. Look, I listen to your show all the time, and I just heard Thank the discussion you. you had on the F-250 that had uh, some mileage on it. Mm-hmm. I have an F-150 that just broke 100,000 miles. Okay. I've never had any problems with this vehicle. Mm-hmm. I've uh, changed the oil and taken care of the brakes, but I was concerned of 100,000 miles about the igniters and some other service, and I was hoping you could tell me about that. Yeah. What year model is it? It's 2009. 2009. Okay. Well, you got the, the one-piece spark plug, thank God. They revised those. I don't know if you heard about that. Back on the older models, the... From 2005 to 2008, there were several of the three-valve engines that had a two-piece spark plug in it. And when you go take them out, they could break off in the engine, especially if they'd been in there 100,000 miles. They changed that to 09. Yeah, yours is not, it doesn't apply to you. I would probably change the spark plugs in it. And a lot of people will say, well, it's running fine. Well, yeah, it is running fine. But what happens with a modern engine is that as a plug gap wears, the computer commands more duty cycle to the coils. And it just keeps on firing. And it will run exactly as good as it always did. But what happens, it starts to burn the coils up. So instead of changing eight plugs at maybe $15, $20 a piece, you change eight coils at $200 a piece. <laughs> so I would change the spark plugs. I would change the engine coolant. I would probably look at changing the belt and possibly the belt tensioner because the belt tensioner generally lasts about the life of the belt. 
I would service transmission if it hadn't been done. I would service the rear differential if it hasn't been done. And okay. do yourself a favor and take and draw some that power steering fluid out. Mm-hmm. Get you some, what are we using, Mercon 5 now? Yeah, I think it takes Mercon 5. Take now. and refill it with Mercon 5 and do that about two or three times. And that will replenish most of the power steering yeah, fluid. and you can do that yourself. Right. That's real, real easy. In fact, I got an article on my website. You just take a little thing, draw some out, pour some in, you know, let it run, do it again a couple of times. You'll get most of it. Yeah, get most of it out. And that replenishes all the, the additives, additives and everything in the, in the power steering right, fluid. Right, it keeps the fluid, keeps the seals mm-hmm. pliable. But truck like that at 100,000 miles is sort of like a man at about 55 years because – if he starts to take care of himself at 55, he'll probably live to be 80 or 90, maybe older. If he doesn't, he's going to probably live to be about 60 or 70. <laughs> he's going to have a pretty rough life. You're at the point where you've gotten all the free out of it you're going to get. You're right. going to have to do some maintenance. And if you do it right now, that truck has a lot, a lot more years in it. And the key is do it properly. Yeah, do it properly. Don't let some jughead get in there because you can screw it up worse oh, doing yeah. the maintenance than, than not doing it. Well, I'm coming to see you. So, okay, well, uh, you ain't got to worry about that's that. That's it. You'll be in good shape. Well, Lewis, look, thanks for your show. I do appreciate you, and I listen to you every morning I drive in. So well, thanks great. So thanks, Bo. Thanks for calling Thank in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more. Ray, David, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Travel my way. Take that. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low-price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes? Plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, and I got Mr. Brian Terry right here outside. Between two of us, we can answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. We're going right back to the phones with Ray. Good morning, Ray. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I was wondering, what's your thoughts on... In the past, I had used it mm-hmm. and got really, really good results. Um, several vehicles with over 300,000 miles. Yeah. But I can't find it. Ray, no, all I can tell you is what all the manufacturers say and that it does absolutely no good at all and it possibly can do some harm. I don't use it. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend any kind of additive. I just recommend using good, regular name brand oil and changing it on a regular basis. One guy's going to say, well, I got 300,000. Well, you don't know what would happen if you hadn't used it. Right. You may be that you're just an easy driver, and you're going to get 300,000 miles in any vehicle you got. But I would not recommend it. It's not recommended by any vehicle manufacturer, any engine maker, anywhere in the world. Most of that stuff is nothing but regular oil with some extra additives in it. And, I mean, if all companies wanted extra additives in there, all they could put it in there. And if it right, did right. if it did any good, they would already be putting yeah, it in there. Yeah, I mean, there. if GM thought they could cut their right. warranty costs, believe me, they'd be using it. But nobody that's credible, no report that's ever been done by anybody credible has ever recommended it. Okay. All yeah, right. I mean, well, one of the things I was concerned about is because they don't make it in a 520. So just stick with, like, mobile one. Full yeah, synthetic. absolutely. 5W20 or whatever your car calls for in a mobile one full synthetic. 
Yeah, 520, Mobile One Synthetic, it, it'll last forever. Right. I mean, you're not going to have any lubrication-related problems. I mean, you'll get tired of driving the car before you have lubrication-related problems. I can guarantee you that. Okay, sounds great. Okay, Ray. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526, the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. I have a 2005 Chevrolet Tahoe, mm-hmm. and I threw a few engine codes. One was uh, a Lean Bank 1. Mm-hmm. Lean one Bank 2. Multiple, multiple no, silver misfires. Multiple misfires, mm-hmm. yeah. And I was, I went on the Internet and looked, uh, mm-hmm. not on your site, though, somewhere else, and they there was a whole host of things yeah, that oh yeah, could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, normally it sets PO one seventy three, PO one seventy four, and PO three hundred at the same time. Yep. Yeah, that's. And I also had eleven thirty. I think was the other one. Mm, that's a oxygen sensor oxygen code. Sensor. Yeah, but again, that could be from the misfire. Right. You see, a misfire is going to let unburned fuel go through, which has more oxygen in it, which is going to run the oxygen sensor crazy. So, anytime you've got codes like that you got to have more information to figure out and what we would do is go in with a gm scan tool which will give you a freeze frame a freeze frame will tell you what the conditions were under which the problem occurred most likely it'll be that the engine was cold when it occurred probably Uh below 180 degrees okay now the most common thing if it was under 180 degrees when it occurred and the fuel pressure was good is that the intake manifold gaskets are leaking and what happens is that they leak air so we have unmetered air going into the engine. And okay. so the engine starts to misfire because it's leaning out. As soon as the oxygen sensors come online somewhere around 180 degrees, then they're going to say, hey, it's too lean. It's going to start richening it up. But it could throw an oxygen sensor code when that occurs. Okay. So most of the time, like I said, you'd have to have more data. You'd have to go in and see what the conditions were under which it occurred. And that car does do a freeze frame, so we can find that out. First okay. thing we do is we check fuel pressure. If fuel pressure is adequate, then we're most likely into the intake manifold. We can do a smoke test. That's where they go in. They just fill the intake with smoke and nitrogen, and you'll see the smoke coming out around the base of it. Intake gaskets. There's a revised gasket out for that problem, and there's a revision you're supposed to do to the knock sensors while you have the intake off because they're right there. prevents a problem with that, but that's relatively common. Do you ever notice it kind of idling rough when it's cold? It's intermittent. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's cold. Sometimes it's warmer. Sometimes with a full tank, sometimes with almost, you know, a low tank, it yeah. doesn't, you know, it's random. Yeah, and you could also have two different problems. Possible that you've got an intake gasket leaking and you've also got some spark plugs going bad or right. something like that. So you can have multiple causes, but those three codes in particular, if you go on my website and just type in that code, it's going to bring you to an article and show you pictures and everything. It, it's a relatively common repair that we do on that vehicle. Okay. All right. Uh, the approximate cost? Three, $400. Okay. All righty. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, man. All right, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526. Number, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That particular repair with those intakes on the GM products, V8 engines, just seems to go in cycles. I know two weeks ago, for a week, we did one every single day for that week, and then last week we didn't do any at all. So it just kind of goes in cycles. It's funny. We're going to take one more quick little break and be right back with more. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. (laughs) Yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. 
I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you want to join us on the show, just give us a call. It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And if you happen to think of something after we go off the air today or maybe next week when you have a, a slight little problem, you need an answer, you can always go to the website and get your questions answered that way. That's right. That just couldn't be easier. Just go to www.agcoauto.com and one of the top things on that menu bar on the left-hand side will be contact us. If you just click the contact button, it's going to bring up a little form and you put your name and your email address so I can return the email to you. We don't collect email addresses, so you don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. You're not going to get any spam or junk from us. And you put the type of car you have, it's a Buick or Oldsmobile or uh-huh. Toyota or whatever kind of car you got. Put down what? the mileage and you put down whatever kind of symptoms you've noticed. And real important, if you'll give me the symptoms, I can get a lot more concise answer than if you just tell me, well, my car won't start. Well, that really doesn't tell me a whole, whole lot. But if you say, you know, I turn the key, what it does is it makes a click noise. And if I hit it again, it clicks again. But if I hit it a third time, then it'll go ahead and start. That gives me a lot more information. So I can kind of point you in a better direction. But sure. Just go ahead and send that in to me. And generally, I'll get an answer back to you within just a few hours, always within 24 hours. And the cool thing is that once you fill that form out one time, it'll come up and it'll ask you, would you like to remember this information? If you say yes, then it puts a little cookie on your machine. So next time you go in, the form will already be filled out for you. Exactly. And if you have a different vehicle, all you have to do is change a few of the parameters, change change the symptoms. Change that vehicle. You can add the new vehicle to it. There you go. Next time it'll give you a little menu and you can select which vehicle you have a question about. And all you have to change, I think, is the mileage and the complaint each time. Uh It just couldn't be a whole lot easier than that. Unless I just came over to your house and looked at the car for you. <laughs> I just can't see me doing that. I can't either. I can't either. Yeah, real, real easy to use. I've gone through that site just over and over and over again, looking for ways to make it easier and easier and easier. And I got to say that it is probably one of the easiest sites to navigate and find your way and get information on that you'll find anywhere on the internet. Right. Stake a lot of pain there trying to get it that easy for you to use. Well, that's right. And there's nothing more aggravating than going somewhere and trying to get some information, and you got to go through a roundabout, and a bunch of pop-ups come up. Right. We're not about that. No, there's no pop-ups on there. There's no advertised. It's actually 100% free site, and it's just a resource for folks in the community and the community of the world, for that matter. But what we're trying to do is just get good information out there. and certainly we feel that if you read the information written and you don't want to do the work yourself then you're going to maybe select us because you say well these guys look like they know what they're doing and right yeah i'm not getting this and this and this done where i'm having my car serviced so we just kind of feel that if you learn the way things are supposed to be done and the reasons why so many problems exist that exist then we're going to be the clear choice, and certainly that's how we're going to make out on it. Right. We are nice guys. We don't do it all for no personal reason. That is our reason, but 
we're not going to go in there and push our agenda on you. We're not going to try to get you into us. We're just going to give you the information and let you make let your you own make, mind. That's it. Like, let you make your own decision. I've always felt that people are really, really smart. They are. Particularly when it comes to looking out for their own best interests. Oh, most I think definitely. That that is, and, and I don't think that's counter to looking out to the common interests. I think if everyone looks out for their own best interests, the common interests will be served. You would hope. Yeah. And you know, we don't need government intervention. We don't need this. We don't need that. But that's if you it. Give people good, accurate, truthful information quit misleading them and giving them false information right then they're gonna make the right choices more times than not and there are a lot of shops around town that you know you walk in there and there's a great big old menu board this is what we do for this much well yeah and, and that's it's really not the way to to do automotive repair well in my opinion what they're doing they're preying on the fact that people do not know a whole lot about this and things that you don't know a whole lot about and you don't have a lot of time it's kind of inviting to just look for an easy answer but a lot of times there's just not an easy answer there's not if you have a temperature you might want that just to go away but there's not necessarily an easy answer there because sometimes you just got a little cold and it's going to pass on its own sometimes you may have a serious malady and you right. have to have it treated and car repair is the same way. One symptom doesn't necessarily mean one thing it's not a one size fits all that's why I've always hated the menu system where you go in and you pick off a menu, I want this, I want this, I want that. Uh -huh. Well, no one's diagnosed the problem. And right. we don't know if we're overlooking a brain tumor here or if we're selling a major surgery for something that needs an aspirin. You know, <laughs> it, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a matter of diagnosing the problem, giving the proper solution to that particular car, and then getting it fixed right the first time. And there's only one reason and one reason only to do all that, and that's because it's ultimately a lot cheaper. Sure. It's just cheaper to fix it right the first time. There's nothing more expensive than going in, just throwing a bunch of parts at a problem and still having the same problem and still having to go in and get it fixed right anyway. Right. You've already spent that money throwing parts at it, and like you said, it may not even be what the vehicle needs to be repaired correctly. Well, that's right. I had a fellow who came in earlier this week, and he's a pretty regular customer, and we were working on his car, and he had gotten a ride from another fella who has not ever been in. Anyway, he was just kind of sitting there, we're chit-chatting back and forth, and he says, yeah, my car does blah, 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 and I got a price on a rebuilt transmission, and this guy seems like he's the cheapest guy around, and I'm saying to myself, yeah. well, I said, you might want to get that check. That doesn't really sound like a transmission problem. Uh -huh. uh, well, no, he said, okay, well. Go ahead and get transmission. If it still don't fix it, then bring by. Let me look at it. <laughs> but got a problem where he's got a stumble in it at a certain speed, which is above the range where the transmission's already made all its shifts. More, exactly. More likely, he's got an engine misfire or a sensor that's not giving a proper result that's causing it to downshift a different gear. But a lot of times, someone will go in and they feel something. They wrongly assume that it's a transmission problem. So the first thing you do is get on the phone and find the cheapest guy to build a transmission. And how's that little phrase go? The cheapest way in is usually the most expensive way out? Oh, absolutely, because <laughs> you get a transmission now that's probably not rebuilt right, so now you do have a transmission problem, and you hadn't even got close to the problem. And the thing about it, once a transmission's been into by somebody else, you have no idea what they've done to that unit. Well, that's right. So now you're into a factory rebuilt, which right. is a lot more expensive than a... Shop rebuild. That's right, because a lot of times the better shops are not going to go behind someone else's work. No, especially because, with a transmission. Yeah, you don't know what all they could have screwed up in. You're not ever going to be able to figure it all out because many of them drill passages out, left parts out, done this, that, and the other. Exactly. And just the likelihood of a problem can be extremely high. So a lot of the better shops don't want to go behind someone else. So they're just going to R&R &R that transmission put a factory unit in it. And which is going to end up costing you pretty much the max. Right. And you still got the original problem to fix. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you want to make sure. And that's the difference, I guess, between the good shops and the, the poor shops 
is that when you go in and you give a good shop a problem, they're going to ask you for symptoms, and then they are going to diagnose it and tell you what's wrong, whereas the shops you probably shouldn't be in are going to have a pat answer or a menu board where you just pick services. You, know, you diagnose yourself, come in and tell me what you want, we'll do it. Right. And I guess there was maybe a place for that. You know, If you need an oil change and you know you need an oil change, that's fine, go get an oil change. But if you've got a car that doesn't shift right sometimes, well, you don't know if that's transmission. You don't know if that's bad alternator. Sure. Loose battery cable, throttle position sensor, map sensor, airflow meter. Just keep naming them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> on and on and on and on we could go. Because the transmission basically shifts gears, and that's really kind of all it does. All the control is generally on the outside of the unit. Exactly. All the inputs to it are on the outside of the unit. So – if it is going like it won't go into first gear, it won't go in reverse. Okay, well that's probably a transmission problem if the shift linkage is working. But if it shifts to first and then when it goes second, it goes into neutral and there's no second gear. Okay, well that's a transmission kind of a problem. Uh-huh. But if it's going first, second, third, and it's jumping back to second, and it's going back to third, and it's jumping back to second, or is missing or misfiring or stumbling or vibrating, that's probably not transmission. Right. That's going to be an outside related issue. Yeah. It may be the transmission doing it, but something may be telling it to do that. Well, exactly. The transmission is more of an output. It takes all its inputs from the engine as far as when to shift, how to shift and all that. Mm-hmm. And if you got an engine running problem, you have to resolve that before you ever look at the transmission. Sure, and a lot of engine running problems you don't really notice. Well, I tell you, they can be so subtle nowadays because the cars are running at such a low speed. Generally, when you're driving 45, 50 miles an hour, if you look at your tachometer, it's probably sitting around 1,000, 1,100, maybe 1,200 RPM. Sure. That's barely above an idle. It is. So it's not making, it's not turning real fast like the old cars were. So if you've got a misfire, Rather than feel like a misfire, it just feels like a little vibration or maybe a stumble. And particularly if you've got like a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder engine, because it's only one cylinder that misses, so you still got five of them or seven of them pushing you down the road. More than likely, you're not really going to notice it. It's pretty subtle. It's just a little subtle stumble or shake or whatever. But very, very, very often, folks will come in and they say, man, my transmission's jumping, it's doing this, it's doing that. And when you check it, they got a bad ignition call. Uh-huh. And it's just a misfire under light acceleration. So when you accelerate, the engine stumbles, so the transmission notices, hey, I'm not making enough power, so it drops to a lower gear. Correct. And they feel a stumble and a, and a shift, and they say, oh, transmission's going out. Yeah, right. And the worst thing you can do is go and tell somebody how much to rebuild transmission because you may end up with a oh, rebuild transmission yeah. and, and an engine stump. Yeah, <laughs> in the right places you would. Yeah, or wrong would places. End, well, <laughs> right or wrong. Yeah, another thing that we notice a lot that gets mistaken as a transmission problem, and we see this a lot in the summertime, is going down the road and it sounds like the transmission has not shifted into high gear. It sounds okay. like the motor is just racing. And what it is, the fan clutch is stuck. Because Correct. it's hot and the fan clutch is going to full on and maybe it's locked up. Like, for instance, you go through the drive through at a little restaurant or whatever. You're sitting there idling for a period of time. That fan clutch locks on wide open because Correct. the AC is on, the head pressure is high, starts drawing a lot of air. Well, when you start going down the road, it doesn't release. Well, what it does, that fan makes so much noise, it sounds like the engine is about to come out of the car. Right. If you've ever taken a box fan, like a home box fan, it has three speeds on it. Mm -hmm. The higher the speed goes, the more noise it makes. And that's the same thing happens here. Well, that's right. And it sounds like the engine's running really, really fast. And people say, man, my my vehicle's not shifting. Uh I'm not going into high gear. The engine's running too fast. But if your car has a tachometer, look over at the tachometer. And what you will notice is that the RPM are down right where they should be. Correct. 
And when we drive the car, we can tell. So we go in and check, and I tell you, very, very often we'll find something like a, a fan clutch that's stuck on. Uh-huh. Another thing that gets, well, two more things that really get misdiagnosed a lot. One is a plugged-up catalytic converter. The converter will go bad. It'll restrict exhaust. So you give it gas, and it will not go. It uh-huh. just doesn't have any power. Right. The exhaust has nowhere to go. It and can't get out. it's making a lot of noise, so it sounds like the motor's racing, but it's not. It's just not going. So they'll say, well, we have a transmission slipping. Well, it's not the transmission slipping. It is you're giving it the gas, it's not going, and it's making a bunch of noise. That's where symptoms come in instead of that problems. Is, that is correct. And a better shop is going to drive the car and figure that out. But right. you know, if you give them the symptoms up front, you're going to be dollars ahead. And all you have to do is go in and do a back pressure test on the engine. You notice, well, we got 10 pounds of exhaust back pressure. So we know we got a restricted Stop. exhaust. Right. And we go on the opposite side of the converter where we have no back pressure back here, so it means it's a converter. Go in and change the converter, well, problem solved. Correct. And even though a converter is expensive, it's nowhere near expensive as a transmission in most cases. Yeah, definitely. And, of course, the last thing is something like a fuel pump going out or a fuel filter. That's restricted. restricted. We'll do the same thing because you give it the gas, and injected cars are not anything like carbureted cars. On a carbureted car, when you mash on the gas pedal, a little pump pumps some gas, and, and the gas started going in, so the car took off. With injected cars, what happens is when you mash in the gas pedal, you're just opening an air valve. You're mm-hmm. letting more air into the engine. Correct. And the air flow meter tells the injectors, so the injectors open up more and give it more gas, and that's when the car goes. But if the fuel pressure is too low, you mash the gas pedal, and the injectors open up, but the gas doesn't come out. So it doesn't go. Uh-huh. And most time, it'll kind of bog down, fall on its face, maybe cough, spit, maybe set a check engine light. But... The thing is, it can feel, if it's subtle, it can feel just like a transmission problem. Sure. Because you're mashing the gas, it's not going. Of course, transmission seizes a problem, so it shifts down to lower gear, so it bangs down into a lower gear. To try to build the power up mm-hmm. to, to run. And very, very, very often, that gets misdiagnosed as a transmission. And the worst thing in the world to do is to go ahead and get transmission and then have still, all that expense and then still have the original problem. Exactly. Have, you, have to take it somewhere to have someone yeah. fix it correctly. You still got to pay for a diagnosis to figure out what's wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> so you might as well go ahead and get it diagnosed for us. That's it. Hey, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Mike, how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-price $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in, and we just... Happened to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with my big tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 499-9526. And that's what Todd did. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Doing sir. great. Enjoy the show. Quick Thank you. Quick question. 
Got an O2 Buick LeSabre. Got a lot of miles on it, more than I care to say. Uh-huh. But I, I've been losing coolant somehow. Uh-oh. Don't see a leak. Doesn't run hot, but i yeah. got to add coolant to Three, the... Eight liter, Todd? Yeah. I'm going to tell you what is the most dangerous thing that it can be and pretty common on that engine. If you take the throttle body off and look inside the intake, it's got six tubes that run up from each cylinder. If you look at the base of those tubes, you're going to probably see about a gallon of coolant sitting inside that intake. It leaks inside the intake. Now, why that is so dangerous is because those tubes are about four inches tall. As the coolant starts to build up in the intake, it gets close to the top of the tube, but the heat of the engine tends to ball it away, and it goes down, and some more leaks in, it goes up, and then eventually and inevitably it'll reach the top of those tubes. And when it does and you turn a corner, it's going to dump coolant in the engine, and that's going to be the end of it. It's going to bend the rods. Yeah. It hydrolocks the engine. Right. But that is almost always the case when you can't find it and that's where it's going and like i said the easiest way you pretty handy todd well yeah Somewhat. but i don't know about pulling the throttle by okay off. well i mean you could bring it by the shop we could check it for you pretty easy if that's the case you're going to have to deal with it because if you want to keep the car now if you say hey i'm just going to drop it until it drops and i'm gonna throw it away well you can keep going a little bit but when it does spill over in one it's gonna take the catalytic converter out because coolant doesn't go through converters it's gonna take the oxygen sensors out and it's gonna probably take the engine out i've seen an awful lot of those cars put in the graveyard by that problem i got you pretty common on that motor Mm -hmm. i was driving it till it dropped yeah uh, (laughs) well no use killing it though Uh, you have to change the intake manifold and gaskets pretty big deal well and right now it's you still do something with it if you Mm -hmm. let it lock up right then the rest of the car you can't get anything for it but scrap then yeah be worth zero right now it's worth a little bit well it's worth what it's gonna cost you to get something else because you can go in this one and when you go looking for another car it's probably cost 15 grand for a replacement if you buy a used one 30 grand you buy a new one so it's basically worth fifteen thousand dollars to you That's yeah, what it well, costs to replace it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it runs great. That's man. right. I, I yeah. still get like 25. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, it, it, car's probably well worth fixing, but sounds like it, it. I wouldn't let it go. Now, there's a small possibility it could be the water pump leaking and blowing back on the motor and evaporating. It could be the They got some little plastic, plastic elbows mm-hmm. that come out end of the intake and go to the heater. Yeah, it goes through the belt And pressure. those tend to, to leak a little bit. Mm-hmm. And some eventually, they'll just erupt. And you'll lose all the coolant at yeah, once, but, but they'll start yeah. leaking slowly. Those that, normally you're going to see some drips on the outside, but but when that intake leaks, most time you won't see right. any symptoms of it. It'll yeah. just leak well, outside the motor. I've never seen a drip underneath. So mm-hmm. uh, well, I wouldn't no, be surprised, yeah. but that would be it. I mean, nothing that can't be fixed, but it's it's probably eleven twelve hundred dollar job. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'll make a decision on that. Appreciate it. Enjoy okay, the Tyler. show. Thanks, man. All right, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 499-9526, number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. That little engine had that problem from the get-go. It did. And, you know, some of the new, new ones before, I think they've actually dropped the 3.8. I think so. I believe. I think they went to the 3.9 and the 3.5 and all uh-huh. that stuff. But some of the newer ones before they dropped it, I think they actually went to an aluminum intake on them. Okay. They, they actually took the plastic intake off and went back to aluminum. Right. Because the first had ones had other, aluminum. Yeah, first ones came with aluminum intake. Right. Then they went to the plastic. Then I think right at the end, maybe it was last year or two, and I'm going to have to look that up in service data to see if I'm not telling you wrong. They may still make that engine, but... I don't know. Uh, I don't remember. I hadn't I hadn't really paid that close attention a, to them anymore. put in a whole lot of cars. But, oh, man. Uh, yeah. GM used that in everything. Yeah, it, it was a good little old motor other than that intake problem. Go back to our phone. I've got Sid online. Good morning, Sid. Hey, I got a 2008 Toyota Avalon with okay. about 77,000 miles on uh-huh. it. Yes, sir. And within the last couple of weeks, when I started in the mornings, and not every morning, it lets out a puff of smoke kind of 
first I thought it was a head gasket leak because yeah. it was kind of like a cloud. It got a little bit of a bluish tint to it. And sometimes yeah. when you stop at a stop sign mm-hmm. or a traffic light, it'll hey, let out that See, has it just been since the weather's been so cold it's been doing it? It started a couple weeks ago. Yeah, well, that's about when it started getting cold. I would almost bet you, Sid, does the car sit outside at night? No, it sits under a carport. Yeah, it's, it's outside. still outside. Most yeah. likely what it is is just moisture getting into the exhaust system because I'm going to tell you, the number of those cars I've seen with blown head gaskets are slim. Maybe, I mean, I, I can't think zero. of maybe. Yeah, yeah. Probably hadn't seen any of them with a blown head gas. just doesn't really happen unless you just cook the engine or something. And yeah. it couldn't be like all burning any of that because the catalytic converter would burn it up. You'd never see it out of the tailpipe. So very, very, very likely it's moisture is getting into your exhaust system, and when the converter starts getting hot, it boils it and just puffs a little puff of steam out. Not uncommon at all in cold weather for cars to do that. Some will do it more than others, you know. It's more than a little puff of steam. And it's got a bluish tint. Still kind of sounds like something getting into the exhaust because the other option would be like burning oil, and if it was burning oil, the catalytic converter would vaporize it before it would blow smoke out the tailpipe. If it was burning five quarts of oil on a thousand miles, it wouldn't smoke. No, I don't think it's burning any oil. Yeah. And, I, and I did do that little test where you put vapors up from the radiator, mm-hmm. and it didn't turn. And that doesn't definitively mean it wouldn't have a blown head gasket. And a head gasket could make it smoke out the exhaust. But I got to tell you, that engine just doesn't really blow head gaskets. I really haven't ever seen one do it. Just kind of would really be surprised if that was it. Uh, I'm going to tell well, you. What about valve guide seals or something like that? It's the, still the not going to get through yeah, the cat. The, the converter's going to burn it up. You're not going to see it. That, that catalytic converter gets 1,200 degrees. Yeah, it's going to vaporize it's gonna burn anything it. coming out the pipe. What, it, the only other possibility is you got coolant somehow leaking into the engine. And I'd have to look at it to see. I mean, there are some ways that can happen, like an intake gasket or something like that. But that's pretty rare on that engine as well. I'll tell you what I would do tonight, Sid, when, before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Get, get a hand towel and just shove it in the tailpipe or tailpipes if you got two of them. Uh-huh. You'll get it hot before you do it so it's good and dry. It's not smoking at all. Plug those two pipes up tonight uh-huh. and see if it does it tomorrow. Okay. And I'll if it doesn't, just don't worry about it. Yeah, I get that complaint a lot. People had never did it before. Well, you just never noticed it before, and it hadn't been as cold and as humid before. But, yeah, moisture will get in there, and exhaust gets real hot, and it's going to smoke for a while just until it blows all the steam out. It quits after a while if you run a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah. sometimes when it, when it is hot, I mean, uh-huh. I'm driving down the road, and uh-huh. I'll stop at a traffic light for a cycle, mm-hmm. and, and I take off. It, it leaves a big cloud behind no it. No kidding. Man, the only other thing I can think of would be possibly like some gas. Uh, is your gas mileage down on you? No. I mean, it runs like a top. Yeah. And it's smooth, everything. It, I mean, it's, it hasn't been abused. It's yeah, the only other thing, like I said, if, if somehow coolant is getting into the intake stream and that coolant's going to do that, it'll blow up a big thing. But, again, probably not a major issue. just need to get it checked and see what it is and go from there. But I would doubt very seriously it's going to be all burning or head gas or anything like that. Just not a very common problem on that engine at all. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, we really appreciate it when you do that. It helps move us up in the ratings and helps get more people listening. Exactly. Hey, have a great weekend.